Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 21. The Eye of the Snake. Hermione plowed her way back to Hagrid's cabin through two feet of snow on Sunday morning. Harry and Ron wanted to go with her, but their mountain of homework had reached an alarming height again, so they remained grudgingly in the corner. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So today we are lucky enough to be joined by one of our favorite podcasters, Nora McInerney, who has the amazing podcast Terrible Thanks for Asking. She's written many books, which you can find at noraborealis.com, and she has a new book coming out this March called No Happy Endings, and we are so excited to have her here today. Hi, Nora. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Honestly, I just ate three tacos. The sun is shining here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's, I mean, the sun will set in another like 20 minutes. So 
it's a pretty good day for us. That's amazing. And to be clear for everyone who's listening, it's like noon and the sun will set in 20 minutes, it's, right? Yes, it's rough. But also, I don't want to make you feel bad about your climate, but it's like 40 degrees here, which is hot. And like our kids didn't wear jackets to school. It's a, it's a really big day for us. <laughs> I, I'm sure this is the exciting content that people tune in to hear, weather. <laughs> on your on your popular weather podcast. I actually have a very strong defense of small talk. Timothy Snyder wrote that book on tyranny, and he thinks that one of the ways to fight tyranny is through small talk. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to Google that. Yeah. So take that, Trump. We just <laughs> talked about weather. So Nora, I know that you have a story prepared. Do you mind telling it to us? It's through the theme of honesty. Oh, honesty. Look, I lie to my kids. All the time. You know, sometimes if, if I just need one of the kids to get in the car a little faster and they say, well, are we going to have candy tonight? Ever since Halloween, by the way, our family's ruined and this five-year-old needs candy every single day to like <laughs> just everything. Like, will there be candy? Yeah, there's candy. There's no candy. There's no candy at the end of this car ride. Okay. What's at the end of this car ride is a balanced dinner brushing your teeth and going the heck to sleep because I've had a long day. But sure, candy. At the same time, I tell my kids all the time to be honest. That is something that's really unique to our family. Most families are just telling their kids to lie all the time, Mm -hmm. but not me. Okay. No. Not this mom. This mom is like, honesty is the best policy when in reality, in our house, honesty is a policy. One of many, (laughs) along with please take your shoes off at the door and don't stand on the couch. Okay, I hate that. I hate when kids stand on the couch. Anyways, I tell my kids all the time, be honest, be honest. It's so important. But then also I lie to them, but then I tell them to be honest. But then also sometimes I tell them not to be honest. Like you do not need to say to your sister, I hate you and I wish that it was still just me and my mom. It might be true. That might be honest. Is it necessary in this moment? There's just too much nuance. Honesty has a lot of nuance to it. And that's hard to understand when you're five. And I know that as a kid, I was not always 100% honest. I don't think that anybody is because we learn from a young age that honesty is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable And the reason that my podcast is called what it's called is because it's a rejected book title. I wrote a book in the six months after my husband Aaron died, and he had had brain cancer, and our son Ralph was not even two years old. And I wrote that book in the six months after Aaron died. Like I just want to repeat that. And I spent that full year, first year after Aaron died, really doing a bang-up impression of a normal person and telling every single person who asked me, and a lot of people ask you this after your husband died, like, how are you, Nora? Well, oh, oh, I'm fine. Thanks. Like, And then just switch the topic back to you. Or I could perhaps even say, like, well, I'm writing a book. So, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Because I did not know how to be honest with people about how I actually felt or about what was actually happening. I did not have the vocabulary for it. I did not have 
the capability of it. I did not have really like the humility to just say, I'm I'm really bad. I'm really bad. It's as bad as you imagine. And it actually might be worse. I could not do that because I could not even admit that to myself. And I know that my kids have seen me say things that were maybe not the truest. You know, they've maybe seen me uh, roll into daycare a little bit late and be like, oh, the traffic. By traffic, I mean, I have a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning. That's the <laughs> the traffic was just me getting out of bed. Uh, so they see those things. Those are not the things that keep me up at night. What keeps me up is that I don't want my kids to be dishonest about how they really feel and about how it really is to be them in the world. And we have these four kids and they're over this huge range of ages, two, five, 12, 17. That's so many different needs. That's so many different life phases happening at once. But we're a blended family. You would not know that from the outside, but you don't get a blended family that is genuinely a happy family without something breaking first. The older two kids are from my current husband's first marriage. My five-year-old, our five-year-old is from my dead husband. And then we have this baby who's like, oh, I don't know. I guess both my parents are alive and love each other. (laughs) Life is good. But all these other kids... They've been through really, really painful experiences. And the older two have, for a lot of reasons, been very good at lying and not malicious lies, but lies about things that really, really matter. And what's most important to me for them to know and for all these little children in the world to know is that it is not your job to lie to make life easier for grown-ups or easier for anyone else. It's not your job. That's not what you're here for. You're not here to tell people that things that aren't fine are fine. You're not here to make their lives smoother or to make things more comfortable for other people. That is not your job. I want them to know that now because um, their suffering has just begun. <laughs> there, are So many bad things are going to happen to them over a course of a lifetime. And when those things happen, when my kids are 20, 30, 35, I want them to be prepared as much as they can. You can't actually prepare, but you don't have to lie your way through it for someone else. You don't have to say it's fine. In fact, it's super important, right, to say it's not fine. We're seeing a lot of that in these chapters of Harry Potter where Harry is finding his voice around saying to various people, I'm not better because I survived. Cedric was just as good of a fighter as I was. And when Voldemort chooses to kill you, he can kill you, right? Oh, I bawled through that part of the chapter, just Ugh, so you know. I know. I was like, I... Having, like, all the survivor guilt, I was like, oh, my God, I really should have reread this, like, after Aaron died. I think that it's why Harry gets off on saying Voldemort's name. 
He's like, let's be honest about exactly what we're up against. And it's like he grows two inches every time somebody says it back. Just a few chapters ago, Hermione says Voldemort's name for the first time. And there's a line like, it was that more than anything that calmed Harry down. It's like, thank you for being honest about what it is that we're up against. I just really want to, like, help people start to say it is what it is rather than it's fine. Yeah. Or just fart noise. like Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or just be like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Period. Yeah. When Aaron was sick, I loved his doctor because his doctor never used, like, the fight terminology. He just told it like it was. That was it. But, like, the the part of grief where you sort of caretake other people through the experience and you sort of can sense in your interaction, like, oh, they need this to have a... A happy twist. I started this not even very good blog when Aaron was sick. And when I have read or reread those entries, it's so obvious that I started it because I was like desperate for people to just understand the truth, which is that our life was not just cancer. We were still people that you could interact with and talk with about anything. But also cancer was not a part of our lives that we could pretend wasn't there. And so there are a lot of really pointed entries where I'm basically like, this is very hard, everyone. And this specific thing is very hard. And this is what our days look like because, I mean, people don't know. People only know what you tell them and what you show them. And you don't want to walk around like an open wound, weeping and leaking fluids all over people. But you also, you do want to be known and seen through this hard thing. And that's a complicated thing. And I do wish that I could have at least just said, like, I don't know, like, what I need. I don't know. Yeah, that's the problem, right? And I think we see that in the chapter, too, is that, Partial honesty is often almost the worst of both worlds of saying, actually, I feel lousy today. How are you? That just makes the other person feel uncomfortable. So it's what you have to conjure the energy for is I feel lousy today and I don't want to talk to you about it. I want you to know that I feel lousy and now I'm done and now I need you to fake a pleasant conversation, right? Like, In order for honesty to work, it has to be complete. And that is like an exhausting way to live in the world. It really is. And so much work. Yeah. It's so much work for a person who's already overwhelmed and a person who already has enough to do. And yet, that is our job. That is so crappy. That's so crappy. Like, being human is the worst. Next time I'm coming back as a turtle. <laughs> oh, man, I love turtles. Right? They're I love best. a turtle. <laughs> I would like to be like a like a desert tortoise. Just. Oh, I want to be a sea turtle. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll see you in the desert. Okay. <laughs> I'll be a land turtle. You be a sea turtle. <laughs> 
And when the oceans rise and destroy everything, we'll find each other. <laughs> and look at us, weather talk. We've come full circle. We've come full circle. The audience is cheering right now. <laughs> Nora, thank you so much for coming on the show, for telling us the story, and for being an example for how to live in the world honestly with compassion. Yeah, you're just out there making us all more human. So thank you so much. Thank you, because you're doing the same stuff. And gosh, I can't wait to be a turtle. Yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you somewhere in the Mojave in like 20 years. I feel like you were cheating on me with her. Yes. <laughs> I didn't think about you the whole time. I don't feel guilty now. I feel strongly that it was one of the best decisions of my life. I mean, everyone needs a little variety. That's true. Absolutely. Here's the thing. I love you, and I feel like you and I are great yin and yang. I'm, like, suffering, and you're, like, hope, and I'm, like, suffering, and you're, like, love. And with Nora, I was, like, suffering, and she was, like, more suffering. (laughs) And it just feels good every once in a while to have that, you know? Especially in a time like this. Yeah. You know, Vanessa, one way I'm going to make you suffer. Oh, God. 30-second recap. Okay, bring it on, baby. 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Hermione tries to warn Hagrid that it's not business as usual, and Umbridge is here. Umbridge goes and visits Hagrid's class. Hagrid is teaching about Thestrals. Umbridge and Draco and Pansy are, like, basically having, like, a conspiracy moment about Hagrid. And um, Harry is really sad and mysterious, and he goes to bed, and he has a weird dream about Cho. And then... um, And then his dream gets interrupted and he's a snake and he's biting someone and they're bleeding. And it turns out that it's Mr. Weasley and he goes and gets uh, um, McGonagall. Beautiful. I missed a really important show thing. Okay. Details. Yeah. (laughs) On your mark, get set, go. So Umbridge is inspecting Hagrid for Thestrals and Hagrid gets like flustered and she's making all these horrible comments like cannot understand English and things like this. Um, and then we move over to the final DA meeting and like Cho and Harry stay behind and Cho's like, mm, I like you, but then I'm crying because of Cedric and Harry's confused. And then um, uh, they go to dormitory and um, every, and um, Hermione's writing a letter to Crumb because like she's a pen pal and Ron's confused. And then Harry has this dream which turns into this vision where he is the snake and he attacks Mr. Wee. Yes. Do you think that Hermione is actually writing to Crumb, or do you think that she is being dishonest and trying to make Ron jealous? Oh, my God. I love it. She's doing that thing where it's like, write a letter to someone, but never send it. And just to be like visibly penning words to someone else. I think she's writing to her parents and is like, I'm writing to Victor because Ron has just pissed her off. Harry comes in and is like, I kissed Cho. Actually, he doesn't say that. Hermione's like, did you kiss? <laughs> and Harry's like, yes. And Ron is like so bro-y and is like, yeah, good for you, which is like so gross. And it upsets Hermione. And then he's like, who are you writing to anyway? And she's like, Victor. And I just think she's completely lying. Is Ron super icky in this moment? Yes. Ron sat up so fast that he sent his ink bottle flying all over the rug. Disregarding this completely, he stared avidly at Harry. Well, Harry looked at Ron's expression, mingled curiosity and hilarity to Hermione's slap frowned and nodded. Ha! Ron made a triumphant gesture with his fist. But this is something I would do. Oh, I think it's so gross. You think so? Triumphant? He's like, yes, 
yes! <laughs> like, he's been shipping them all this time. and like Has he? He's excited. Maybe he's just, like, glad that Harry's not going to be at his side the whole time, so he has some space to make a move. I think that the word triumph really bothers me when it comes to kissing women. Mm. As if she is a trophy. I genuinely think he's just excited because he says, like, well, how was it? I don't know if Ron has ever kissed anyone. I, th- I Ron think, hasn't. Yeah, I think he's just very excited that this is all happening. And, like, he's obviously having, like, thoughts and dreams of his own and, like, doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and you know his brothers are not giving him the info that he desperately needs. Here's the thing. I'm fine with, like, cool, tell me. I'm not cool with triumphantly fist pumping like it was a sports match. Like she's some sort of prize that he's won. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he conquered her. Right. And like that's gross to talk about girls like that. Oh, I totally agree with you that that, that is a gross way to engage. And it's, and that there's a definite dynamic of like bros like conquering women or like, yeah. right, you have conquests. But I, I'm not sure if that's how I read this bit of the text. Like I, I genuinely think Ron is like clueless and is just thrilled at the prospect of like learning something. <laughs> Tell me what kisses are like. Yeah. Wet. And, and then Harry says wet because she was crying. And you just, I mean, that is a confusing starting point. If this is your first kiss, I, I do empathize. My first kiss with, was with a lovely woman who's now lesbian and had a hairier midriff than I did at the time. She had a one-eyed French mother who would tongue kiss their dogs and a father would read a newspaper in the driveway in his car. And so I think Hermione, towards the end of the scene, is just, like, so mad at Ron. Yeah. And we know that she is willing to resort to violence, but is, like, trying not to in this moment. (laughs) And so lies to him and is like, I'm writing to Victor, who treats me like a woman. Victor is international and is traveling with his Quidditch team and would never fist pump at the idea of a kiss. And you don't think people can have more than one feeling at the same time, you dum-dum. Yeah, she she just wants to be with someone who doesn't act childishly, right? She wants an equal. She wants someone that she respects. And she sees so much of that in Ron, but he doesn't always display it. Well, I also think that if you like someone and they behave really poorly, yeah. you feel like it reflects badly on you, That's right? That's so true. You're like, why do I like you? Right. Whenever my dog does something disgusting, I'm like, why do I like you so much? You're so gross. And so I think that in moments like this, she's like, and you're the one I'm pining for. Right. Like you are less sophisticated than a teaspoon. And I am a woman of the world. What I like about the fact that she throws that zinger at him, because it's it's kind of painful honesty, right, is that she can say that without the relationship being at risk. I don't know. There's some sort of loving playfulness between the two that because she says it in such a good zinger way that he's not going to, like, collapse and break down because of that moment of honesty. Sometimes when we tease each other, and that's more than teasing here because she's genuinely frustrated. Right. I don't know. The honesty doesn't break what they have. Right. I mean, this is something that we like sort of say in a cliche way of like, we're friends, right? Right. So I can tell you you have spinach in your teeth. Oh, I do? Right. No. (laughs) Oh, I didn't. That's the kind of thing that it's like, so I can tell you tough truths. Right. Because we've built enough of a dynamic where I can tell you. And what's so interesting to me about that is that Hermione and Ron have enough of that trust built that Hermione can be like mean and honest in this moment. 
But Harry decides not to tell Hermione something. Harry has not told Hermione that Dobby is the one picking up the hats and that she's, like, doing this for no reason. And do you think that that is a reflection of, like, Harry not trusting their friendship? Why do you think he is being dishonest? That's such an interesting question, because I've always thought that the relationship is equal between the three when it comes to this kind of intimacy and honesty. But you're right that this is a moment where Harry doesn't feel that, perhaps because it's already coming to an end, right? She's in the midst of exams. She says, oh, I've only got three hats left, but I don't have time to knit more. Her attention is moving to the DA. And so maybe this is one of those moments where we feel like, okay, I could be honest with you, but like things have already moved on and like what would it do, right? It's not going to change any behavior at this point. Or it's too risky. This means so much to Hermione that the timing is wrong because I do think there's something about when do we tell the truth? When are we honest with people? Because sometimes you do have to wait for the right moment. I don't know, but I'm making excuses for Harry because it's been a whole semester. We're in December at this point. Right. And I also just think, I mean, not attacking Harry. I think it's possible that he doesn't tell her because he doesn't want to have this awkward conversation. I mean, this is something that Nora talked about, Mm. which is that honesty is uncomfortable. Mm. And, like, he is busy, like, healing his hand and mourning the fact that he can't play Quidditch anymore and, like, dealing with this trauma that he witnessed. He doesn't want to have another conversation and complicate his relationship with Hermione, which is, like, sort of one of the only uncomplicated relationships that he's got. Right. And I think he doesn't genuinely know what the right thing is. You know, he clearly sees that Dobby is so much happier being free. I think he also sees a lot of house elves who clearly do not want to be free. But I'm sure that Harry feels very uncomfortable with the kind of slave master relationship between wizards and house elves. So I think maybe Harry just also is not quite confident on his own opinion. And so to really enter into an honest conversation would expose his own unknowing in some way. And and that kind of leaves him skirting the issue. And as you say, I think the relationship with Hermione is so precious. To risk it for this just feels outsized to him. Yeah, which I think is fair, right? Like, it doesn't have to all be on Harry. He doesn't have to be the one who's... He's the chosen one for so many things. (laughs) Well, and this is, right, this is fallout again from him being the chosen one. That is why Dobby comes and talks to him and builds this different relationship with him, right? It's like this burden just keeps growing, and he doesn't have to be addressing every level of the burden. Right, right. Well, and another example that we see is when Umbridge is kind of humiliating Hagrid and Hagrid is getting blown off course. She says and she writes down something like, you know, students are are too afraid to talk in class. And she's talking about Neville. And Neville says no out loud. And and this is Neville, right, who is kind of famous for being paralyzed by fear or, or, or crumpling in on himself. But thanks to the DA especially, I think, is really building this courage. And we see that his skills are being transformed. So I think A nice counterexample is like we're able to be honest when we feel empowered, like when we feel clear about what we know and what we don't know and what is right and what is wrong. And I think Neville's voice, like that simplicity of just the word no against Umbridge, who is more powerful than anyone, even Dumbledore at this point, potentially, that really stood out to me like a shining light in the in the chapter. Yeah, and then it's also when you feel as though your honesty has a clear purpose. Yes. Because, like, at the end of the chapter, we see Harry being really honest with some tough truths about his dream, non-dream, and the fact that he was sort of the snake. 
even though Dean and Seamus can hear him, mm. he Harry is worried on some level that he has just caused an attack on Mr. Weasley. Mm. When McGonagall comes to ask him for inter- information, Harry is honest with her about the role that he's worried that he played in this moment. And I think the reason is because the, it's actionable. It means that they're going to go for Mr. Weasley faster because he really saw this and right. it wasn't just a dream. And there has to feel like there's a purpose. And that can often inspire us to honesty. Yeah, exactly. Because Neville is looking at Umbridge writing this thing down. And I think he hopes that by saying no, she will omit what she's just written down. Of course, it's Umbridge, so that's not going to happen. Right. But, but there is a clear purpose for him risking that honesty in public. I wonder if this is in part like... He's trying to write his own narrative now. Like, he doesn't want to be seen as Neville with the remember all. Like, he's starting to become Neville the hero with, you know, the sort of Gryffindor. And, like, I think it's important for him to to be brave in public for the rest of his classmates so that they don't kind of sideline him so easily. I hadn't thought about that before. Maybe Maybe it's slightly performative. Yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of a conversation that we had a couple of years ago. When we started this podcast, we said that we did not want it to be a political podcast, that we wanted it to be as inclusive as possible. And then when Donald Trump was elected, it became important for us for it to become more political. And we said explicitly, like, part of the reason why we wanted to say the things that we say is that we want it on the record where we stand. Mm. I think that dishonesty has a place or, or or not saying the whole truth. Right. Diplomacy. Diplomacy mm-hmm. has a place. And then when the stakes get higher, then it's like, no, I, I need to be honest. And it's possible that Neville just wants to be on the record mm. in front of Hagrid, mm. in front of the trio. Like, I am willing to stand up mm. for Hagrid. I am somebody who is willing to yell at authority, even if there's no immediate actionable purpose to it it's to be on record i yelled no that makes me tear up like just the idea of him risking that like and we know how cruel umbridge can be to just be visible in public saying like no i will not stand for this i love neville i know it's a beautiful moment a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. 
I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. So Vanessa, a really beautiful scene in this chapter is the moment after everyone leaves the DA meeting and like Cho is kind of lingering and Harry's rearranging cushions and we have this moment where they're together again. And she's very brave and like says to her friend, yes. like, I'm going to stay behind, which I am 36 and I'm still not brave <laughs> enough to pull moves like that. Yeah, she's really brave in this moment. And so we see them having a conversation. And Harry's like, oh, my God, I have feelings. What is happening? And then he turns around and like Cho is crying because, of course, like, as Hermione will tell us later, like, there are all these emotions that are going around in her heart and brain and body, particularly around Cedric and the complexity of like, but Harry was with Cedric, like, am I betraying Cedric? All of this kind of stuff. So once she starts talking about Cedric, Harry gets confused about like, oh, but what's happening? And then Cho says, I know it must be horrible for you, mopping her eyes on her sleeve, me mentioning Cedric. When you saw him die, I suppose you just want to forget about it. And then this is what the text tells us next. Harry did not say anything to this. It was quite true, but he felt heartless saying it. And so I thought this was a really beautiful moment because, first of all, Harry has the self-awareness, like, to be honest with himself, which is like, yeah, I do feel that way. But also then the, the awareness of not to say that back to her, even if it is true. And so this was just one of those moments where two people who both know the same thing, but, like, aren't honest with each other because they want to spare one another's Maybe not even feelings because they're already feeling it, but maybe it's more about dignity. Yeah. And so I just wanted to like focus in on this moment and see what we can find. I mean, it's just both of them are being so kind. Mm. And honesty is the best policy when you need a policy. But they don't need a policy in this, right? I love that. Policies are only necessary when you're, like, trying to solve a problem. Mm. And they're not trying to solve anything. They're trying to be in relationship with one another. Mm. And so you don't need to bring all of the truth all of the time. Especially when the other person already signals that they know it. They know. It would just be, like, adding insult to injury, right? Mm. Of, like, yeah, I don't. (laughs) Like, <laughs> Cho already knows. And so I think that this is one of those beautiful moments where two human beings are really understanding one another and, and can allow the silence to do a lot of work between them. Yeah, that is so interesting, the idea that silence actually can communicate honesty, right? Because by staying silent, Harry is not repudiating it, right? So there's kind of a tacit 
consent, right? Like he, he's not saying it's not true. And so silence can communicate very honest things in moments like this. There is a beautiful story about chaplaincy that a rabbi told that he went to visit a, a couple and the wife was sick and he was sitting there with the husband talking while the wife was sleeping. Mm. And the husband just sort of regaled a series of tragedies, you know, things that had happened with their children, the different things that they were hoping for the wife that didn't come through. Mm. And he didn't know what to say. And so as he was like going through his head with all the different things he could say, the man said to him, thank you for not saying anything, Rabbi. There really isn't anything to say. Mm. And my friend was like, oh, my God, you know, like, I wasn't not saying anything on purpose. <laughs> but this man just wanted somebody to listen to mm-hmm. everything awful that had happened and to sort of admit through his silence that, like, there's nothing to do. And so I think that there can be a tremendous amount of honesty in silence. Mm-hmm. I think I think silence can be weaponized, and I think silence is often not a good thing. But I think that Sometimes it's the most honest thing. This makes so much sense to me, Vanessa, because actually there's a real mirror to this moment in the text because Harry is is literally just like soaking in Cho's suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not offering a cheap answer. He knows that she doesn't want to hear the story of what happened again. Like it's just being present to Cho with her pain. I mean, I, despite all of Harry's awkwardness, he actually does really well in this scene, right? Like he responds both to Cho's kiss, but he also like pats her on the back and like hugs her clearly when she's in tears in a way that she's I think she's looking for that connection but not too much like I think he does remarkably well the only moment where I'm like Harry could have been a little smoother is when she refers to the mistletoe above them and he starts talking about Luna and Noggles (laughs) I love it though (laughs) that is the moment in all seven books that I see myself most in Harry. <laughs> Someone's like, I like you, Vanessa. And I'm like, poop. <laughs> I totally, I'm with you, Harry. But I mean, even the way that he responds, right? He doesn't come in and sort of kiss and tell. Mm. He stays silent with Ron and Hermione. And then Hermione guesses. And so, and he yes. like doesn't deny it. And then Ron is like triumphantly waving his hands. And Harry, Harry just answers that it's wet, right? Like, Mm. there's something, like, deeply honest about Harry in this moment and the way that he's walking through this. Totally. And I love that parallel with him coming back into the common room and he does not speak of it. Like, Mm -mm. he's smiling. But the silence holds the experience he just had. And, in fact, the text is silent about what happens, right? That little vignette ends before the kiss happens. We only, as a reader, learn about it as he returns. So I, I love that idea of, like, you know, silence holding this very intimate moment but then also telling the truth when he's asked you know he's not obfuscating or or, or hiding it in any way Vanessa where else did you see this theme of honesty in the chapter so I'm obviously as everybody is I'm very interested in the Thestrals Mm. and what's interesting to me about the Thestrals is that they get this reaction out of people we find out that people who have seen death can see the Thestrals And it's almost like a blood test, the Thestrals, right? Like they reveal something true about people regardless of whether or not they want it revealed about themselves. So I was just thinking of like what the parallels are in our lives to that, right? And I think some of it is a blood test, right? Like a blood test will show you are vitamin D deficient or you are not. But a blood test will not 
tell you everything about yourself. It's become shocking to me that medical tests that we don't have, right? What in our lives does that to us, like shows us something honest? Hmm. Do you know what I know is like a real litmus test? I will feel fine and then I will hear my mom's voice and start crying. And it's like a test of whether or not I'm actually in emotional distress. Oh, my God. I know exactly what you mean. I just spent like an hour and a half on the phone with my mom and I just had that same same feeling of like, oh, I can really feel what I'm feeling, you know? Yeah. Ugh, that's so true. And so there are just certain things where like it's like a thestral. There's just a confrontation where something is going to be revealed about you whether you want it to be or not. And to some extent, I wonder if the thestrals feel like a blessing because it's nice to have something physically acknowledge your grief. When I think I'm hiding something and my partner says to me, what's wrong? Mm. I feel so seen, right? Even if I'm not ready to talk about it. (laughs) Because he's he's noticed. Right. Even if I'm like nothing. (laughs) It still feels so nice to feel witnessed in that way. And I feel like the Thestrals also bring out that honesty. Oh, I think that's such a beautiful comparison, Vanessa. I, I think witness as a word is really helpful I mean, even Harry is in this scene. He feels so heard and understood, like, I am not crazy. Hagrid is talking about these animals, right? Other students can see them. It's super, like, affirming for Harry that his experience is valid and and reasonable. And that it's brutal for the people who can't see it, too, Mm. right? The, The way that the people who can't see the Thestrals are aware of the Thestrals is that cow flesh is like being flung about and it's very violent. And so if you haven't seen death, the like ghost of death is still painful and violent. It's just such a beautiful metaphor that she has given us. Yeah. Vanessa, for our spiritual practice this week, we're continuing with Havurta. And I found, I think, something, a really juicy little bit of text that I have questions about and I'm hoping you can help me with. So the idea I want us to interrogate together, to chew on, is this little tidbit of information that when Dumbledore doesn't want to apparate, he uses the Thestrals. And we learn this because Hagrid is explaining how rare it is that this is a tame brood And he names one Thestral, Tenebrous particularly. And my question is to you, why does Dumbledore use them? There are so many means by which to travel. Why is he using Thestrals? And the answer, as in our version of Havruta, that we always have to give an answer as well as a question, I think it has something to do that the Thestrals somehow remind him of the enormity of his work and that life and death are at stake. And that there's something about physically sitting on an animal that he can see because he has seen people die that just reminds him of of the challenges and the the realness of the work that he's doing. Because I think for someone with such power, and especially with apparition, where it's so easy to like flick, flack, flick, and you're over here, like the world feels like you're able to control it. And maybe the Thestrals remind him that there's much that's beyond his control. First of all, I just love this question. But I think that I would imagine that Dumbledore doesn't want to apparate 
all the time for the same reason that I sometimes walk even though I could take the tea, right? Mm. It's just like, okay, I just like need some quiet time, yeah. right? Or why I don't listen to podcasts while I'm in the shower. It's like you just need quiet time where you can't do something else. And while you're writing a Thestral, you can't be sending memos. You can't be consulting with portraits. You can't, right? right? Like <laughs> that is the only thing he can do. And then I also just think we ritualize things in our own lives all the time. I, you know, I've talked about my friend who died when I was in high school and they played a song at her memorial that the school put on that now every time I hear that song, Hmm. I make myself sit and listen to it the whole way through. And sometimes it's awkward. It's like I'm with someone in a restaurant and it's time to leave. And I'm like, sorry, I have to stay until this song is over. It's just something that I've done. So I wonder if he does this every once in a while to like think of Ariana or to mourn Grindelwald or right. Like I think that sometimes we just do these things as as little rituals that we don't want to tell anybody else about. And I sort of like the mystery of it, but I love the idea that even though there's a faster, more efficient way, he sometimes doesn't want to and instead wants to ride these half ghosts. That reminds me of John O'Donoghue as this wonderful blessing for someone who is exhausted. And there's this line, you have traveled too fast over false ground. Now your soul has come to take you back. Like that element Mm -hmm. that especially if we're rushing between things or traveling in a lot of places, like our souls somehow like cannot keep up with us. And I think that's super likely with apparition where, you know, if you're apparating various places in a single day, like just your sense of being is lost And for someone like Dumbledore, who's probably managing a multi-front war or, like, resistance effort, at least by this point, like, maybe, as you say, this is the only time he gets to to really be present with his own experience. I mean, Thestrals are also famously good for their sense of direction, which we'll see, obviously, towards the end of the book. So there's there's some very practical something in here, but they, they don't seem like the most comfortable flying companions. So there's also something about, like, intentional suffering or, or, or like making yourself humble by being uncomfortable. Like I think of that image of sackcloth or like the rough material that monks would have worn, you know, to keep themselves humble. So I I do think there's something to this that Dumbledore is trying to remind himself of the limits of his power in some way. Yeah. And I also like the idea that if Thestrals are good at directions, it's sometimes you can't operate because you can't picture where it is that you have to go. Oh. Right? If in order to operate, you have to be able to really visualize where you're going. And sometimes you need to wander around in order to find where you're going. And so the Thestrals might just be better at helping you wander around. So what you're saying is that Thestrals are like helping Dumbledore live in the world as if it's a bookstore, where the best (laughs) bit about a bookstore is like you just wander around. And see what you find. Oh, my God. That's exactly what I was saying. I feel so seen right now. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Ricka Bailey. Dear Harry Potter and the Sacred Text crew, my name is Ricker. I'm from Gloucester, Mass. Uh, and I'm recording this a few days after my partner and I attended your Cambridge Live show. Um, this thought occurred to me during the pardes. Now, the sentence, as a reminder, was, Harry thought himself back. What occurred to me uh, was a rather strange quirk of grammar. This construction of subject, verb, object, and then the word back is the same that we would use in the sentence, he hit the bully back, or the soldiers shot back. In other words, back can be used to indicate a kind of aggressive retaliation. In this context, what then does it mean to think yourself back? Well, as a person who has dealt with depression my entire life, it has often felt like my own intrusive thoughts are a violence which I commit against myself. The weapon that my depression uses against me is thought. So when I think myself back, what I'm talking about is the self-deprecating, self-defeating spiral which I can enter into, where the two sides are thinking each other back and forth, but the two sides are both me, and so there's no winner. And so all of this is, uh, is by way of an introduction, really, for a blessing that I would like to give. I would like to give a blessing for anyone who, for whatever reason, feels like they're trading blows with their own mind. For any fight to end, someone has to be the first person not to retaliate. And that's true even when both people are you. And it's also a blessing for all of the people whom, who, who are there with uh, the people who are suffering uh, in these times of need. 
particularly, I'd like to thank my, my partner for, for what she puts up with going for uh, living with me. Love the podcast and uh, all the best. Thanks. Ricker, thank you so much for that blessing. And I think there's just such wisdom in that. I think pacifism, right, is just as hard and is just as much of an action as taking what we usually think of as action. And I think that you are calling beautiful attention to that. Yeah, that idea that, like, not doing something that you know makes you go into a spiral or something that is destructive can take as much effort as, like, proactively doing something good. Especially when I'm in a fight with someone. Hmm. Right? Like, biting your tongue is an action. For real. And it looks a lot like staying quiet. But but actually, actually. (laughs) my tongue is bleeding. So, Vanessa, it's time for us to offer a blessing to someone in the pages of this chapter. And I want to offer a blessing to someone whose name we actually don't get to hear. We're about to hear it. And Malfoy kind of sneers into Hagrid's speech, and so we, we don't learn his name. But it's the third person who sees the Thestrals. So Harry, Neville, and this third unnamed Slytherin boy raise their hands. And as a proud Slytherin, I'm always looking out for characters that we don't get to meet. But, you know, we, we don't know anything of this person's story. Fifteen is a young age at which to have seen someone die. And so whatever the circumstances it will have been painful or traumatic in some way. And so for this unnamed 50th Slytherin, I offer a blessing. And for anyone who has seen death and suffering at a young age, I offer my blessing to you too. How about you, Vanessa? I would like to bless Minerva McGonagall. She is like such a competent person with sort of such strong edges to who she is that her showing up at the end of this chapter just immediately calms Harry down. The text says that he didn't want somebody who would be taking care of him. He wanted someone who would be taking him seriously. And I think that McGonagall is not a warm and fuzzy person. She's not the one who's like doling out hugs. But she is somebody with integrity and who will take action and who will give you a cookie when you need one. And I think that she's just earned so much trust over years of being a diligent educator that her sheer presence makes Harry feel better while he is throwing up and sweating and stressed. And so just a blessing to anyone who is who they are and who makes no apologies for it because that constancy is a gift. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or come and join the hundreds of people supporting us on Patreon. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or send us a brief voicemail. We are really excited to see so many of you in Orlando starting tomorrow, and for those of you who are joining us at the Orlando Live Show on Saturday night. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 22, St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries, through the theme of Distance. This episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Takal, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. We are part of Night Vale Presents and distributed by PRX. This week's voicemail was thanks to Ricka Bailey. Thanks also to Julia Argie, Bridget Goggin, Danny Agin, and of course, Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you next week. Just so you know, we did talk about you behind your back on text, and I wrote, she's amazing, and Ariana wrote, the most charming person. (laughs) I can send you a screenshot.
All right, please do, because, you know, I have a folder that I call Warm Fuzzies where I put uh, nice things people have said about me. And then I have another folder called Don't Read, This Makes You Angry, where I keep horrible <laughs> things people have said to me. Why? Just delete them, you psycho. Like, yeah. what's wrong with no, you? But, like, really? <laughs> really? Just delete them. Just, you know what I'm going to do? My computer is almost full anyways. This folder is going. Okay? Yeah. Okay, you ready? Can you hear this? Hold on, let me turn yes. up the volume so you can hear the trash empty. Oh, yeah, empty it. Woo! Amazing! <laughs> Best audio we've ever captured. <laughs> crunch, 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 crunch. Garbage, garbage, garbage.